Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about dating, more specifically, online and mobile app dating. And we have the perfect guest to discuss that topic. She's Julie Spira. Julie is America's top online dating expert and the founder of Cyber Dating Expert. As an early adopter of the internet, Julie's been coaching singles on finding love online for over 25 years. Julie's the best-selling author of The Pearls of Cyber Dating, Confessions of a Hopeful Romantic Looking for Love Online, and is the creator of the website Dating in the Age of COVID-19, How to Find Love in Quarantine. Julie's a frequent media guest, her dating advice has appeared in over 1,500 stories, including ABC's Nightline, Good Morning America, The Today Show, MTV News, NPR's All Things Considered, The New York Times, USA Today, and The Washington Post. Hi, Julie. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me as a guest. You're I welcome. It's, it. it's my pleasure. I'm sure it's going to be our listeners' pleasure. Julie, like me, you started out as a radio TV major in college, uh, actually on the East Coast, like I am, because you're from New Jersey. However, we definitely went on somewhat different career paths, not that I wasn't in communications. But I think it would be very interesting for our audience to know how your career path took you to becoming a dating coach. And I might add, a nationally recognized expert on mobile and online dating. Hi, Jeff. That's it. Great question, and it's an interesting uh, winding digital road. I went to college to become a radio music radio DJ. It was as simple as that. I loved music. I listened to WNEW FM in New York growing up. I, you know, it had the earphone. You know, those days when you had the ones of little plug in my ear during all of my classes, and I knew that one day I wanted to be like Allison Steele. So I sought out a school that would allow me to become a broadcaster. And I, was, I went to Ithaca College for their Park School of Communications, where Michael Eisner went, and, and there's um, a lot of people went to that school. And I was trying to decide between Ithaca and Syracuse, and oh, Syracuse Good had school. better toys, right? Good school. So I got, in, I got into Newhouse, and they had, they had better toys. And then, you know, Ithaca College, I was able to actually go on the air in my freshman year. I think I was on the air within the first few weeks. And at Syracuse, wow. I would have had to wait until I was, I would have had to wait until I was a junior. And I didn't want to wait. I was ready to just blossom and get out there. So I selected Ithaca College. Um, I love the Park School. There are a lot of really great people that I'm still in touch with. And, you know, many of them you'll see on TV, David Muir on Nightline, uh, my friend Peter King, who's yeah. the voice of CBS Radio News. So we're all out there. And at that time, I still wanted to be a DJ on the radio. And I was very single focused. <laughs> um, the, the beauty about what I did at Ithaca College was because I was on the air and I had this experience, and there were very few women on the air at the time, an opportunity opened up to get actually a paying job midnight to 6 a.m., mid uh, Friday and Saturday nights, an hour away in Binghamton, New York, but it was a 
big 50,000 watt FM radio station and it was called The Whale. And I loved listening to The Whale when I would drive up from New Jersey to upstate New York. And I, they had never had a woman ever on the air at that radio station. So I sent in my demo tape as did other friends of mine and I got selected. And it really sort of put a damper on my personal life because I'm going to school during the days and then my weekends at midnight to 6 a.m. I'm driving an hour to Binghamton in snowstorms wow. and I'm doing, the I'm doing the graveyard shift. Yeah. But I did that and I, and I loved it. And lucky me, a few months later, the guy who did seven to midnight quit. And so there was an opening for seven to midnight, Monday through Friday. And I jumped at the chance and they gave me that opportunity. And I was very lucky that my professors were so supportive of the work I was doing. I think that I, by then I was a junior in college that uh, they worked around it to make sure I could still graduate. And I was on the air five days a week, seven to midnight as Julie Evans. And I was doing voiceovers, you know, editing my own tapes, splicing it wow. with a razor blade, <laughs> wow. way before the age of di digital. So yeah. if somebody would say, Julie, you know, was it your dream to be an online dating expert? I said, what are you talking about? There was no public internet. You know, we were using real to real machines. There was nothing called digital at the time. And we had telephone quality FM radio. And that's what we were living with on the network level and on the local level. So that was my, my path was rock and roll, loved music, got yeah. on the air. And then it came down to, well, what market can I work in? And when I realized I was going to have to go somewhere in the middle of nowhere and the station could be sold and turn into another format in any minute and that I wasn't going to be on the air in New York or L.A., I decided to follow my other dream, which was to become a network executive. So I got involved in radio syndication and then the digital career started early on because I was an executive at RKO Radio Networks and we were the country's first digital satellite commercial satellite radio network in the planet. I mean, Dave Sholin did the last interview with John Lennon at RKO. So we were really ahead of the world. Everybody else had tin cans, as I said, and <laughs> phone lines. And we put in these enormous satellite dishes all over the country so people could have high quality radio broadcasting. And again, that was another dream to be able to work for a network in the days when network radio was really, really flourishing. But that's what started my digital career. And how did you get involved in dating and that aspect of it? Well, the interesting part about that aspect of it is because I became a technology expert because I had to learn about uplinks and downlinks and everything you can imagine about chief engineers of radio and broadcast stations. What happened was I was a very, I was a technology enthusiast and a very early adopter of the internet. So one day, girl gets heartbroken, and what does she do? So at that point, I was a member of AOL in the dial-up days, and I became a charter member of Love at AOL. And it was a year before Match.com was even launched, and six years wow. before eHarmony was launched. And I was hanging out in chat rooms talking to guys <laughs> with you know two hundred, three hundred dollar a month bills because you were paid, you had, you were charged by the minute, and. Little by little, I met some really interesting guys and my girlfriend started getting jealous. Like, where are you meeting these guys? And of course, I don't want to say I'm in a chat room. <laughs> so I came clean. And the next thing you know, I was writing profiles for other people. And I just followed the industry 
until the point that I finally released my book, which became a bestseller, The Perils of Cyber Dating. And by then I started writing dating advice for all the major sites, for Plenty of Fish, Match, eHarmony, even, even Tinder at this point. Uh, yeah. my, my advice has appeared on everything from, as I said, Tinder to eHarmony. Yeah. Let me make a few comments about what you said. First of all, you did something, Julie, that I aspired to, but I didn't plunge into it because I, there were things that were happening in my life. And that is, I wanted to be a radio DJ too, <laughs> but you actually did it. And there are a couple of other points I want to make here. And that is, again, some of what I learn when I talk to great people like you who become very successful is, yeah, you call it luck, but it, is, it isn't really luck. You decide, I'm going to drive to Binghamton, even though I got to uh, go to school, I'm going to drive to Binghamton and I'm going to be on the graveyard shift doing this radio show. And you also decided I'm not going to stay at Syracuse, great school, because I want to get on the air doing my DJ thing sooner rather than later. And the other point I've heard time and time and again, it seems, is the career path kind of evolves. You kind of thought you knew what you wanted to do, but it sort of zigzagged and evolved. And here you are with us today and you're very successful. So thank you for sharing all that. I thought it was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, I know a number of factors have increased the size of the single adult population, at least here in the United States. If you had to estimate, Julie, how big would you say the adult singles market is? And what are the demographics of that group? In other words, there's been a lot of divorce, so we might have more older singles. If you could size up for us fairly briefly, what is the size of that market today? And what is the makeup of that market? And we could we could talk about the United <laughs> States if you're if you're talking to people in Asia or Hong Kong, because this show could be heard anywhere. You know, go right ahead. Well, we'll start with the United States. There are over 100 million singles in the United States wow. based upon the last census information. And about half of them, meaning 50 million plus, um, have tried online dating sites or dating apps. And th that's a big number. And what the interesting thing to me is, is it used to be, oh, don't, you're going online, you must be desperate, nobody can find you a date. Well, no, we're now in quarantine and lockdown and everybody's only online. So dating safety really does include virtual dates and, and video uh, chats and things like that. So I'm looking at you know, the younger demographic from college age to through millennials that are active, maybe their numbers, maybe the three times more than they were four years ago using dating apps. But now it's multi-generational. So mom and dad get divorced or yeah. dad passes away or mom passes away or whatever. And suddenly kids are fixing up their parents. And if the kids have been swiping on dating apps, it's like they create profiles for their parents and say, okay, it's time for you. So the baby boomers that's another market that's continuing to rapidly grow. I know one of my, my recent column on datingadvice.com was uh, about you know, finding love online after 50, because that's a huge market. And what I'm finding is that people want to connect more than ever now. Uh, there was a poll, it's an ongoing poll on my website, Dating in the Age of COVID-19. And I asked, how has the coronavirus affected your dating life? And 82% said they were looking for a meaningful relationship uh, more than ever now. And with only 4% saying they're looking forward to hooking up again like they did before. 
and just about 13% who said they're putting dating on hold. And we know that's not forever. That's just the way they feel for now. So when you have an extraordinary number, which it's really been 81 to 84% for the last seven months, who are saying they're looking for a long-term relationship, everyone is looking to connect with someone. And by going online, you have an opportunity to meet someone across town or across the country or on another continent. And because people can work from home now, people are very open to moving for love. So you're allowed to cast a much wider net. That's interesting. That's a positive. As you put that against the negative things that are happening, roughly speaking, again, I mean, that's 100 million and 50 million. These are huge numbers. Are we talking 50-50 men and women, 60-40 men and women? How does that break down? As far as users on dating apps, it really depends upon the app. There are certain apps that have more men and there are other apps that have more women. But we're not talking like a 90% to 10% ratio. It's like 55% to 45% on one app, 50-50 on another, and then the opposite, 45 to 55. So I would say there are as many women as there are men there was a time when there were many more men on dating apps than women because women didn't trust it. They didn't feel safe. Now they're feeling safer because they put men to the test in a heterosexual relationship to help them feel safe before meeting. That's good. I'm glad to hear that it's more 50-50 because I hear complaints on both sides about that. And just as a true confession, sadly, after 28 years of marriage, I got divorced about 10 years ago and I have met my love of my life second time around. And I met her on a dating site online. So I'm one of those 50 plusers that uh, you're talking about. Looking forward focuses on the future, but in order to do that, we have to look backwards a little bit. So can you give us your perspective, Julie, on how the world of dating has changed since you started in this field in the 90s, I think it was that you started, right? And we're yes. talking about right up until COVID, not after, but right. How's this evolved? We talked about evolved before the evolution. How's dating evolved since you've gotten involved with this? Well, we went from chat rooms and dial-up internet uh, and very, very choppy video and chatting to now high quality video. So everybody, like you and I are chatting on Zoom and we get to see each other and, and it's live and it's not broken up and choppy and so forth. So you're talking about the technological advances that have helped the cause. But also, I, I really have to give a lot of credit to social media, because I think once people joined Facebook, and once they got an iPhone or a smartphone, they became a little bit more dependent on technology and a little bit more involved with connecting with people to expand their social network. And so I look at online dating as social dating. It, it's an opportunity to meet someone that you could become friends with. It's an opportunity to meet someone that could help you in business. And it's also an opportunity, hopefully, to fall in love with someone. But even if you fall in like with them, that person could have friends. And it's an opportunity as you're in your adult life and you're mostly meeting people from work. And now people are really working from home. It's a very isolated feeling. Here's an opportunity to expand your social network. So all of those things sort of allowed um, a little bit more credibility, and certainly the stigma got reduced as a result of it. And when we talk about what were the dating sites in the 1990s, and I could say they fit on one hand, less than one hand, yeah. and now there are 
thousands of dating apps and new ones popping up every day. So this has largely been brought about by technology itself and people's comfort with technology and social media and that sort of thing. What would you say, Julie, are the biggest differences between something that I utilized, and I'm only talking in the last, let's say, five to seven years. I never did smartphone app, that kind of dating, mobile dating. I only did online dating, okay, on the web. What are the differences, in your opinion, maybe pros and cons, I don't know, between the mobile app dating and the online dating? When I was doing that, I don't know, maybe maybe there were a whole bunch of niche sites, but major sites, there were, I don't think, more than two hands full of those. So what are the differences that you see between the two And, and also between those who use one versus another? Well, it's really interesting because the shift has gone to mobile. And when I created Mobile Dating Bootcamp many years ago, it might have been like six, seven, eight years ago, I had to teach people how to date through the convenience of their mobile phone. And they were scared of, oh, no, make me date on my phone. I said, it's going to become the way of the future. And it's also going to become very efficient. So what happens is it speeds up things because in website dating, which is what you did, and which is what I did, you know, after chat rooms were done, website dating, you would write a message to someone on your computer, and then you'd turn off your computer, and the next day you'd go and you'd log on and you'd see if that person wrote back. So, you know, it would be fine if somebody didn't write back for one to three days. Now, they better write back within one to three hours. Wow. Because what's happening with dating apps is everybody gets push notifications when somebody likes you, when they flirt with you, when they send you a message, when you match. There are so many opportunities to get notified 24-7 that somebody that you have a crush on is interested in you and you can't play the waiting game. You need, even if it's 11 o'clock at night, it's okay to say, hey, I'm getting ready to go to sleep. Thanks for writing. Let's chat tomorrow just to keep the momentum going. And that's really important because whoever's writing to you is writing to nine other people. So it's, I always say the squeaky wheel gets the digital love deal. Yeah, they do. And so people that play the waiting game, what happens is they wait three days and then they really like this person and then they write back and you know that cute guy says, you know, I really liked you, but I met someone and we really connected and I'd like to see where it's going to go. I think we're going to, we've decided to become exclusive. And you're thinking to yourself, but uh, about three days ago. Yeah. Three days ago in website years would have been three weeks ago. And now online on your mobile phone, it's three hours ago. (laughs) So everything is sped up and everything has really sped up and people get impatient, but the cycle from when you match to when you meet, or at least to match to chatting right now, has really just accelerated. It's like on steroids. So if you're an older person, I'll say over 50, over 60, are you more inclined to do the slower paced computer online thing? And is it more the younger people who are more inclined to say, I'm not doing that, I'm going to do the phone thing? Well, most younger, most younger people, Gen X, Gen Y, the millennials are using the dating apps. There are a lot of people in 50 plus area that still feel more comfortable using the website, but there are some apps 
like Tinder and Bumble and Hinge that don't have web versions. They are a mobile app only. Oh. So the newer apps are realizing that's where the eyeballs are and that's where the revenue is and with all the premium upgrades. So if you go on a site like Match, they have a mobile version and they have a desktop version, but you're going to see all the new features roll out on the mobile version because I would say that 80 to 90% of the people are logging in through their mobile app. So it seems as though while they've coexisted, but it sounds like, and we'll get into this further later, it's trending away from the computer going in there and, and trying to meet people that way. And it's been that way for at least five years, if not longer. Really? The only reason there's more web activity right now is because so many people are home and they have a bigger screen experience from their, from their home, which is why people that are using Zoom prefer to use Zoom on a, on a laptop or a desktop over using a mobile phone. We're going to really get into that deeper right now, but I forgot to say something. I like the expression. I don't know that you're the creator of this, but I did like the expression fall in like. I like that. I think that's a really, that's great. Okay. So can you cite, Julie, some obvious and perhaps lesser realized examples of how COVID-19 has affected dating, both in the United States and perhaps elsewhere too. You started talking about the Zoom thing. There, wow. We're, for a moment, we're moving back to the computer for a moment, but go ahead. Well, how it's affecting things is that people have more time to, A, be lonely and more time to desire love more than ever. And that's why you see, you know, all these dating shows on TV, people are looking for a happy ending and they're looking for an opportunity to figure out what did that person do that I could do in my love life to improve my love life. And, and so what's happening now is I'm finding, and I launched a site, you know, that we were talked about briefly earlier during, when, during the coronavirus, which is dating the age of COVID-19. It's a dating advice site, but it also features couples. And what I'm finding out with the couples is so many of them have fast-tracked the relationship. So if they had maybe one date before they shut down the restaurants um, in March, they would go on a second date and they would decide to quarantine together. Wow. And so there are couples that have decided that, you know, they say, I love you quicker. They fall, they get into committed relationships quicker. They take their profiles down quicker. So there are so many of these sped up relationships. But on the other hand, there is this slow old fashioned courtship because people are getting to know each other because they're going on virtual dates. And before Every woman I know would say, I have a bad hair day. I look, I don't look good on video. I'm not going on a video date. Don't make me do it. And as a dating coach, I make them do it. And I say, part of it is just so you know, the other person is for real. They look like their profile photos. It's a safety thing. And the other is, you know, if you have phone chemistry, well, you need to have in-person chemistry. And this is a way to vet your dates. And that's why I, I truly believe in video dating. And because couples aren't rushing to have sex with each other because they're in different cities, in different homes, you know, following rules, masking up, you know, not, not doing much of anything other than maybe a socially distanced hike, it gives people a chance to chat, whether it's phone, video, combination, for hours, you know, for even meeting. So it allows people to talk about their dreams and their hopes and their desires for the future. So old-fashioned courtship with a digital twist, that's what we're living with right now. And whether the relationships turn into friendship or they turn into 
a great love and somebody moves across the country, you know, we're finding people defining their relationships before ever meeting because they've been chatting for three months or two months or two hours in some cases. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's wonderful. Intuitively to me, before we had even spoken, I thought, what a great way to meet people. You get to know them first. You get to, as you said, vet them and you get to see them. And while it's true on the one hand, it takes a lot longer now to really get intimate with them. At the same time, you're not wasting a lot of time going to meet people that aren't really a, the right fit for you. You're actually having conversations, which I understand with the phone, it was like you're texting them and they're, well, that doesn't really tell you anything. So much of communication, as you know, is nonverbal. It seems like that's a real strength. Although until you meet them, you're probably really struggling. I want to actually meet you, you know? I know, but it, it gives people something to look forward to. And you know, looking forward to your phone date or your video date. I call it, you know, the dress rehearsal where I get people ready for their dates and check what they're wearing and give them a list of off-topic subjects to ignore and good subjects to talk about. People are still nervous, but what you brought up was a very good point. Dating virtually right now is very efficient. I mean, if you really want to be a serial dater, not my thing, but if you want to be a serial dater, you can schedule on the hour, you know, every night, three, four dates and wow. have them 20 minute, 20 minute dates. And you don't need to leave your home and you actually don't even need to, you know, pay for dinner. Although some of the chivalrous folks out there are sending dinner deliveries to people that they're interested in or they're emailing them a, you know, a payment for Venmo so somebody can order a meal and people are having you know, virtual drinks, virtual dinner, watching movies together. And people are getting very creative because I think that the bar has really been raised and you can't be very lazy about it right now when you know someone else is sending somebody a meal from their favorite restaurant. <laughs> what you're talking about reminds me of something I did two or three times when I was looking, speed dating. But this is like you could potentially be a speed dater on video. <laughs> I got a 720, I got a 730, I got a 740 and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of interesting. But I, yeah, but I think it's good because it forces you to put on the clothes that you would wear, get out of the sweats, put on the clothes you would wear if you actually were meeting somebody for first date. For the women, yes, you put on your makeup, maybe you blow out your hair, you put on some lipstick. You want to look your best because this is, the way dating is. And yes, and if it goes well, then hopefully you'll meet in person. But it's just an easy way to sort of see if you have chemistry and vet your dates. Well, I really like it. I particularly like the idea that A, you might have to take your time and actually get to know a person before you're really physically with them. And B, you get to see them. When I was growing up, and I'm sure this was true for you too, Julie, I would have dreamed about being able to see somebody on a video phone. That would have been like unbelievable. You know, and, and it was unbelievable. And yet now we're doing it all the time. Now, from your vantage point, as we again look forward, what do you think, Julie, will be the long-term impact of COVID-19 on dating? And I'm talking about things like how people find dates, what things people will do on dates and other matters like that. If you had to speculate about this, it's educated speculation on the part of Julie Spira. <laughs> I, I don't think the coronavirus is going away anytime soon. 
And I think that we need to sort of push this reset button on how we're looking at romantic relationships. And the good part about it, as we mentioned earlier, is that things are going slower. The better part about it is you don't have to be so hung up on where do they live, especially since you may not actually be going on a physical date so quickly. So you have an opportunity to meet somebody from a different zip code who, again, could move if they fall, they fall in love with you, and it, ha- it happens all the time. So I think as we move on and people are getting more and more used to video, it's not going to be this fad, okay, I had to do video during the pandemic, but now I don't want to do that. Not at all. Matter of fact, it's almost like, what are you going to say? I, I joined Facebook and Instagram because it was a fad, but I don't want to do it anymore. No, you get hooked and you continue to do it. So I think that you're going to see a combination where couples will start dating once it's safe. And, you know, maybe they'll go to a socially distanced date, which hiking is a big one these days, socially mm-hmm. distanced hiking or dine outdoors at a restaurant, pull their mask off and be six feet separated. And it's a little awkward. It is awkward. But at some point, once you decide that you're interested in someone in between date nights, you will have other date nights. And that will be a combination of a FaceTime call or, or a text message or a phone call to you know, say, just want to hear your voice and say goodnight. So it's part of the whole courting process. And video is here to stay. And I always was an advocate of video dating. I just feel like now the sites have been forced to rush to catch up to really be able to support what the singles need right now in their lives to stay connected to someone. To that point, I had Jill Schlesinger on from CBS, the finance guru. What you are to singles and dating, she's in finance. And she was saying that somebody that she met up with, I think he was an NYU professor, had said that one of the things that COVID was doing was taking things that might not happen for 15 years and simply making them happen now. Just moving what was going to happen and accelerating that process, which is sort of what you're saying. And one of the things that you said, and you may want to comment more on this, which I think is wonderful, you made a point about zip codes. And I can remember absolutely a couple of things for me, but it was affecting other people similarly. In the early stages of my having to go out again, I had a low back problem. So I didn't want to drive really far. Then my back got better, but I'd be looking and seeing these women who were from North Jersey, let's say, like where you were from. And they would write to me and say, you know, you seem like you're a nice guy, but you're too far away, right? So it was like dead on arrival. There was no chance. But what you're saying is those things aren't necessarily dead on arrival now. No, they're really not. Because people from New York are talking to people from Texas and people from California are chatting with people in Idaho. And so a lot of people are quarantining in different cities than the cities that they normally would live in. Some people are moving in with their parents. Some people are moving into second homes. So we're seeing people move to, where is it safe for me? And wherever it's safe, they're hanging their hats for a while right now, as long as they can feel safe. And then that zip code becomes their new hometown zip code. For how long? Who knows? But if they fall in love, maybe a long time. Yeah, it could very well. Again, it's just opening up more possibilities, which we're seeing in other areas as well. The boundaries aren't so set anymore. This may be... The most important question I ask you in terms of the people who hear this podcast, I want to ask you to put on a slightly different cap, and that is your dating coach cap. 
You've counseled many people in how to date better or date for the first time, you know, if they haven't dated in a while. So what are some really important tips? I know you're not going to be able to go through so many of them, Julie, but if you could capsulize, what are some of the most important tips that you could share with our singles listeners about the dating process itself, dating websites and apps, security concerns? What are some of the really important things that you have learned that you try to counsel people on? Well, I try to counsel people on being as authentic as possible. Years ago, people would lie about their age because they didn't get caught. Now, if you lie about your age, you know, it, people find you on a social media site. Everybody does their due diligence. So people are digging and they're announcing it. They're going as far as taking as doing a background check. But people are digging. And because they're digging for data, they find out, oh, my gosh, she's really not 49. She's 52. <laughs> so if you feel like you need to fit into a search, which is something that everybody always struggles with then you need to really be clear about the fact that, you know, what your real age is. But I would prefer that you just be authentic about your real age, because if you think about it, and let's say you go to a party, and one of these days, we're all going to be going to parties again, and you strike up a conversation with someone who you feel that is really, um, you're really intrigued by, and you're really enjoying the conversation, you don't say to this person, Oh, hi, Debbie. Gosh, I'm really having so much fun talking to you. By the way, how old are you? <laughs> like that never happens because that's like, that's the end. There's the buzzkill. Right. So I, I keep trying to remind people that your authentic self is really important. And the photos, I mean, you're only as good as your worst photo. And so what you think your photos are good when you have like party shots and the arm hanging over somebody's shoulder um, is not what I'm going to pick for you. So for the most part, I make people get new photos and I choreograph it and I'm on the phone with the photographers and I pick out the outfits and we really have a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and we pick out five to seven photos that I think would be the best shots on your profile. So everything is about let's swipe. And if the first photo looks good, then I will look at the rest. But if the first one is blurry or somebody's got, you know, somebody's wearing doing a selfie, please don't do that. You would not show up with a selfie on your LinkedIn profile if you were looking for a job that might last for three years. So if you're looking for love that hopefully will last the rest of your life, you need to be in the mood for romance and you need to look the part. Now talk a little bit more about the websites and the apps themselves. Are there certain things you got to be mindful of if you decide which ones you want to go on? And, and also again about security. Security is a big thing. But let's start just, if you could say a little bit more, please, Julie, about the websites and the apps. How does one discern between what's legit, what's not legit, what might be right for them, what might not be right for them? Well, it's, it's really, you know, it's a minefield out there because there are so many to pick from. So I know for me, like the big question everybody asks is, what's the best site? There yeah. is no best site. The best site. There's a best site for you at this point in your life. And these are the reasons why. So I do recommend that people go on three sites slash apps, mostly apps, um, and no more than three. Start with one and then roll into others. And for your primary site, it should be one that has a large critical mass of users. And remember that some people are members that are their free members, they're premium members, and some people are premium members and they pay to read messages and, and to have more bells and whistles. 
And so I think that if you have one site that has a lot of members, you're, you're in good company. The second thing is pick a niche site, whether it's based on religion or your food habits, if you're a vegetarian or your sexual orientation, we could go on and on and on about these niche sites, but roll in a niche site, know that there won't be as much activity and you won't get as many messages, but you know, you'll be balancing out your portfolio for love and then you make the first move, whether you're a man or a woman, because there's a lot of noise out there. And you know, realize that a lot of people write messages and don't get a response. So the be the one who initiates the message, because chances are you will flatter someone and then they'll go, oh, good. It's not going to be another one of those emails that go into internet heaven. I'm actually going to have a conversation. So take the initiative and try and write to five to 10 people a day. And while it sounds like it's a lot, I'm going to back, go back to the job hunting scenario again. Let's say you're out of work and you need to pay your rent or your mortgage, put food on the table, and you're going on job interviews. And let's say you have three job interviews and you don't get an offer or it wasn't a fit. You don't come home and say, I had three bad job interviews and now I'm not going to go on a fourth. <laughs> you can't do that. So no. when it comes to relationships, if you go on three bad dates, you're not alone. But that fourth date could be the one. So just keep trying. And if you need to take a time out for a weekend or a week, you know, take a break. If you have what I call online dating fatigue, it's just temporary. And remember that new people join every single day. And because of that, you need to be in the game to play and to win. I'll get to security in a second. I want you to say a few things about that, but just a quick follow-up. Since I'm out of this, I'm out of this uh, world right now, and I hope not to be back in it again. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. What I want to ask you is, back in my day, I guess when I say my day, I'm, I'm thinking way back when, but even I think when I was doing the computer dating, the guy would usually take the initiative. Has that changed? Yes and no. Women make the first move. If somebody's on the dating app Bumble, Bumble is an app where the woman has to say hello first. Oh. You match, you swipe right, you like them, they swipe right, they like you. And if the woman has 24 hours after you've matched and your mutual match to make the first move and say hello or say something interesting other than, hey, because I always say horses hang out in hay and you don't want to date a horse. <laughs> and then they have 24 hours to write back to you. And then you get to chat as long as you want. And of course, don't keep chatting, you know, swap digits and get on the phone, text each other and move the dating process along. But what has remained the same, even though I'm always encouraging women to make the first move, what has remained the same is typically if it's a heterosexual relationship and you're going out on a date, whether it's coffee or dinner or anything in between, the gentleman usually picks up the tab on a first date. And that hasn't changed. So go someplace that where you can afford <laughs> and that you know you won't be upset if the date's a dud, that you only you paid for the cup of coffee. But go someplace where you can afford and understand that that's the way it is in the first date. Women who decide to say, let's split the check or pick up the tab. If you're picking up the tab, you're emasculating the man who is conditioned to pay on the first date. If you say, let's split the tab, you're saying we're in the friend zone. This is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. So just let the guy be a gentleman and pick up the tab for the first date. And then after that, you know, you can take turns. One person can pay for dinner. The other person can say, hey, let's go for an ice cream and they can pay for the ice cream. There are lots of ways to even it out at another time, but definitely not on a first date. 
I like that information. That's very helpful. If you could just give the listeners, and I don't know, we may be talking more about women here, but you'll know better than I do. What are one or two things that you would caution people about so that they don't get taken, for lack of a better word? Security things I'm talking about here. Well, first of all, you know, be as humble as you possibly can. The person who shows the most toys and starts to brag about their fancy trips all around the world because they want to attract a traveler might attract somebody who's hoping that you're going to pay the bill for when you go on a trip with them. So it's better to be a little bit more humble. And I always look at profiles of like guys standing in front of Ferraris. I'm like, well, that's not his. (laughs) (laughs) And it's actually a turnoff. I would rather, you know, not see that. So I think the most important thing is to not make money a big focus. And if somebody on the site makes you feel uncomfortable for any reason, all of us in the dating industry take safety very seriously. And the sites allow you to report profiles and block profiles. And don't block a profile because the guy rejected you and you liked him and he wasn't into you because that's just silly game playing. But if somebody says they have a a problem and, oh my gosh, I need money for medical or I need money for an airline ticket, even though people really aren't flying, um, run the other way. Or if they ask you to leave the site and they provide their email address right away in an initial message and say, contact me here. Until you feel safe, stay within the parameters of the dating apps because they have an opportunity to check up on things if something goes south. Yeah, those are very important. Thank you, Julie. Julie, let's close with having you let our listeners know about how they can find out more about you, about your coaching, about your book, your blog, about the Dating in the Age of COVID-19 website. This is your chance. I know there's a lot out there. Well, my primary site is cyberdatingexpert.com where you can sign up for the free weekly flirt newsletter. And I'm on social media at Julie Spire on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. You can follow me on all those places. I won't consider you a stalker. I'll consider you a new friend. And of course, on my dating, on cyberdatingexpert.com, you just click coaching and you can find out more about the digital matchmaker and private coaching, which is really what I'm doing a lot of right now. People really want their hands held because they're looking for love and they're looking for love big time. So that's that. And if you really wanted to see some heartwarming stories, check out datingintheageofcovid19.com and weigh in on the poll. Let me know whether you're looking to hook up or putting dating on hold or like the majority of the other singles, 83% are looking for a serious relationship. Joy, this has been great. I do want to mention everybody, you'll see it later when I post uh, some information about the episode, that Julie's last name is spelled S-P-I-R-A, S-P-I-R-A. Julie, thank you so much. A lot of great information and congratulations on the success you've had. It's been a pleasure having you on Looking Forward. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F dot com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.